What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, Drew and I are taking a small aside from the Dresden Files, and I mean a very small aside, because we're diving straight into another hard-boiled detective fiction with Glenn Cook's own Garrett P.I. series. And before we do, a quick reminder before we begin, if you find yourself enjoying our content... If there's anything you'd like us to read and spend a couple hours covering, or if you'd like to say some snippets of our own writing every couple of months, or every month actually, uh, consider checking out our Patreon page or our page on Coffee. that's K-O-F-I, if, you know, one-time donations are more your thing. Today, Drew and I are covering Sweet Silver Blues by Glenn Cook, and Drew is about to kick us off with his recap for this book. Dude, I know you've been absolutely chomping at the bit to start this one so i'm handing it off to you finally blast us off man all right with sweet silver blues we return to the realm of glenn cook and his signature style from the black company but crank to 11 garrett is an ex-marine and private investigator in the fantastical city of tun fair barely staying afloat and living in a crumbling apartment He wakes up one day to a pounding hangover and pounding on his door, as the Tate family wants to hire him to resolve the issue of son Denny's will, Denny being one of Garrett's old military buddies. Garrett quickly discovers that Denny has made an obscene amount of money trading gold and silver against the market and using information that might be evidence of treason within the Carantine military. He also discovers who the main beneficiary of the will is, Kayin Kronk, Garrett's old flame. Denny's sister Rose is not thrilled with this and attempts to convince Garrett to set things up so she gets the money instead. After he declines her advances, in all their forms, she hires local tough guy Saucerhead Tharp to beat up Garrett. Knowing he's getting in over his head, Garrett hires the part elf Morley Dotes and the Grohl triplets Dojango, Marsha, and Doris. Together, and with the help of the dead Logear called the Dead Man, they avoid Denny's investment buddies and head out of town, hoping to find Kayin in Full Harbor. On the way to Full Harbor, and after they arrive, Garrett and Morley are followed and attacked by multiple groups of mysterious people. They hurry to find out what the angles are, visiting Kayin's old house and her old priest. They know she's married somebody, but that's all. Garrett tracks down her brother, who refuses to help. However, they do get information from the criminal centaur Zekzak, who leads them to the information they need. Kayin has married into a vampire nest. With Venegetti spies closing in, Garrett leads his crew into the Cantard, the desolate waste where Carenta and Venegetta have been warring over silver mines for generations. They attack the vampire nest and rescue Kayin, along with Tinny and Rose Tate, who keep sticking their noses in where they probably shouldn't, and Valentine, the local criminal kingpin's traitorous agent. They return to Tunfair after having taken care of the shapeshifting Venegetti agent, and Garrett inadvertently helps Morley kill the kingpin via vampire. He takes the earnings from the job and buys the dead man's house, setting himself up for future jobs. <laughs> and okay. if that if that summary doesn't uh, say it enough, this book is crazy. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to need to... <sighs> The, there's there's really no other way for me to start this week's discussion than by admitting that I did not finish the book. Really? And this was for a couple of reasons. Or actually, maybe because since we're on like episode, I don't know, 140 some odd plus, um, including Patreon, this may have just been like one reason that expressed itself two ways. And this is for the vast majority about style. And this is not the genre. I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of the Dresden Files than I am of the Garrett P.I. series thus far. But I think it's all about style. And I've said this before. I'll say it again um, to start us off. Glenn Cook's style is just, it's, it's really jarring to me. Um, considering the books that I grew up reading, myself, Rob Santos, this is not about the talent of Glenn Cook. I have too much respect and love for Drew McCaffrey to dismiss an author <laughs> that he speaks so highly of. But, you know, <clears throat> after myself reading through the entirety of The Black Company, which was 10 books... It was 13 episodes that we covered, I counted, in 20 hours of discussion or more. I came to decide that, you know, Glenn Cook is a writer that, though I enjoy at many times, and I have many positive things to say about, 
I just, I don't, either I don't have the faculties or I don't have the stylistic preferences to fully appreciate this guy as a writer. I love the banter. I enjoy the whole suck it up, buttercup, camaraderie, the dry, ruthless humor that glues it all together. But that's, that's kind of it. That's the only thing I really enjoy about Glenn Cook's writing that resonates with me. He could make me laugh every two minutes. But for the life of me, I, I, I can't get over this fleeting and abrupt style of exposition. There's so many times throughout this book that I would glaze over so briefly. Like, I'd be nearing the end of a chapter and I would lose focus for one paragraph, two sentences, three sentences. And suddenly... You're totally lost. It's four days later. It's daytime <laughs> again. And we're talking to somebody completely different. And I, I somehow missed the transition. Like, a perfect example of this, where I wrote down where this happened to me, and it was a little jarring. This was in chapter 31. We meet a witch, and she cackles, mm -hmm. and she invites, him, invites uh, Garrett inside. And then we have a page break, at least to my e-reader, we had a page break. And suddenly Garrett is leaving with five pieces of paper to be unfolded in words or, or names to be whispered. I'm like, I'm, I'm like where, where did that scene go? What's, what's happening here? This is all over this book. Was this something that, that, that really stuck out to you originally, Drew McCaffrey, when you first jumped into Garrett P.I.? So, yes, it, it is something that I noticed. Uh, it's something I continue to notice reading Glenn Cook. Uh, it, it is a fact of his writing style that he is not concerned with spending time on anything you don't absolutely need to know. Oh. And so in this scene, all you really need to know is that Garrett met with the witch and she gave him five spells. You don't need to know what conversation they had. You don't need to know what the spells are but because you're going to find that's out. Such an important, an important part of the story. It's so jarring. It's like, <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm, I'm being obnoxious yeah. already. Continue, my friend. I just yeah, knocked but my... Uh, that's, that's just... That's Cook's my style. Jacket. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, you, you we've gone through the Black Company. Mm -hmm. uh, he adjusts as he goes on into his career. Uh, you know, the early Black Company books are much more sparse than the later Black Company books. And while I haven't read all of the Garrett books... Um, I, I have read seven of them, and I'm in the eighth. And like The Black Company, I have noticed the ninth Garrett book is like twice as long as all the other Garrett books. Like there really? are Number nine. Yeah, in, in my, you know, I have the big omnibus versions. They're um, introducing Garrett P.I., Garrett Takes the Case, and Garrett for Hire are the three omnibus versions that I have. And there are three books in each of them. And in each of them, all the stories are, like, almost exactly the same length. They're all, like, 220 pages. And then you get to Garrett for Hire, which has um, the Deadly Quicksilver Lies, Petty Pewter Gods, and Faded Steel Heat. Uh, you know, Deadly Quicksilver Lies, 258 pages. Petty Pewter Gods, 224 pages. Faded Steel Heat is, like... Uh, is 400 pages. Damn. You know, and so there's... a 50% increase. Yeah. Um, there is a... a trend throughout his career that, like, with his earlier stuff, he's much more sparing. Uh, and, you know, and then you go to something like Starfishers or the Dread Empire, his really early stuff, um, it's even more noticeable. But as he goes through his career, he kind of gets a, a handle on his style. It's not that it changes, mm -hmm. but he does round it out more and, and goes on a little longer, gives you more details than uh, than he did in some of his earlier works. And this book, Sweet Silver Blues, is one of those earlier works. You know, this, this book came out in 1987. Uh, he didn't get into that longer, more robust storytelling style until, like, the late nineties. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
another another point where this happened that really stuck out to me not to really belabor the point but like just to, to give more context of what exactly mm-hmm. it is i was talking about um this is in chapter 34 the beginning of chapter 34 garrett is explaining his hypothesis to morley and he says i think three or four conspiracies with completely alien or only marginally over overlapping goals have collided here maybe with the woman being the link i don't think i'm the only one going around wondering who the hell are these guys what do they want I let it go there. Morley could chew on it if he wanted. I snuggled up with my beer and tried to let my mind go blank. Some might say I did not have to work very hard. <laughs> Zach Zack turned up the next day. He got righteous with me. Do I work for you? I asked. So, end quote, right there. Snuggled up to my beer and tried to let my mind go blank. And... Zach Zack turned up the next day. He got righteous with me. These are two sentences apart. And even more, we left off with the subject of Zekzak turned up the next day. And he got righteous with me. But the do I work for you is Garrett beginning that, establishing that next dialogue. Meaning that in those two sentences, Garrett finished his drinking. Two sentences. He finished his drinking. He went to sleep. The next morning came. Zekzak turned up. He decided to be righteous for somehow. And... So and my my screen just goes blank here in front of me. Sorry, it, it it took me longer to say that than it took for it to for me to read it for it to happen, and I I was just so jarred by that. So when these specific things happening, I'm somebody that grew up reading Harry Potter. I grew up reading The Wheel of Time, Brandon Sanderson. Um, it, these these things really these these stick out to me. I, I'm I'm just so left in the dust just because I I kind of glanced over two or three sentences. So. For me, Rob Santos, with my style, with what I have spent the past 30 years of my life, well, not 30 years of my life, I haven't been reading for 30 years, but <laughs> 25 years or so, it's just, it's so jarring to me that it's, it's I, I can't quite get used to it. I think I'm too far into my rut, but it's, this is a very subjective thing. I'm not going to use this to condemn Glenn Cook because he does make me laugh all the time. And I have so much respect for Drew's opinion that I will still continue to recommend Glenn Cook for those I feel like, you know, would really enjoy his style. It's just really not for me, though. Well, this is why I'm having us read different things. Yeah. So we're not always reading it's, the exact same style. It's kind of, of the reason we have this podcast, because when we actually have differing opinions, we get more discussion out of it. And this this hard-boiled detective style, it's, it's not something I can see myself getting further into, at least until we maybe take a long hiatus on this genre when we, when we wrap on the Dresden Files. I read fantasy myself to kind of, like, escape the inanity of real life. I, I spend my youth in kind of in poverty and frustrated and reading more of that same i could just when i could just be lost in a wholly different world i i would i prefer the latter i'm i'm reading these files these these for the inking out loud podcast you know yeah uh i you know i've said this before on our dresden episodes i'm not super well versed in the hard-boiled detective you know crime noir genres but uh, and in fact, Garrett P.I. was my introduction to that as far as fantasy goes. Before I know there the are other Dresden series Files. out there, you know, like Iron Druid and the the Mira Grant, um, uh, was it October Day? Um, you know, there, there are other fantasy detective stories out there. But... Should we just get the comparisons out of the way? Like, cause gonna, there's going to be inevitable comparisons with the Dresden Files in particular, I imagine. Yeah, and, and our audience, these yeah. books were a major inspiration for the Dresden Files. For like, sure. It, it, if if you've read both, it's clear as day, you know how much, uh, how much inspiration Butcher took from from this idea. He bribes the fairies with candy. <laughs> no. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, straight up, we have Morley Dotes bribing gnomes with sugar. Yeah, and uh, and where. Harry Dresden has Bob the Skull. Garrett has the Dead Man. Duh. You know, and... with, with 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 the Dresden <clears throat> Files, I feel like it's witty enough, and it's far more accessible for for someone on on uh, my plane, I should say. With Glenn Cook and Garrett Pi, 
I think I just need to take a step back and admit I I don't get it. It's 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 amusing in many parts, but if not for this podcast, I probably would have dropped this on like page two and moved on. I w- I wouldn't have even even reached the scenes that I really did like, the scenes that I'm going to be talking about as my favorite scenes later, just because I'm so jarred by moving multiple days in three different settings across two sentences. <laughs> There's just so much flying all over the place that I am just not used to keeping track of. So, yeah. Huh. That's, yeah. It's a very um, esoteric style. Yeah, I, I think this is incredibly approachable, to be honest. Like, I, I thought this was so easy to get into. Um, I suppose it depends he, he on how you establish He has such a colloquial your... voice. Um, you know, yeah. starting... You know, we talk about the... You know, the way uh, Butcher opens so many of his books. And, uh, you know... This one opens in in a very similar way, kind of that that uh like down on his luck, uh humorous opening where you know he's like just just the language Garrett uses. I blew bam, my load bam, up. Bam. It sounded like someone was knocking with a sledgehammer. I rolled over and cracked a bloodshot eye. You know, and then yeah, I had blown my wad buying the glass and wound up being my own painter. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. The window was as dirty as last week's dishwater, but not filthy enough to block out the piercing morning light. The damned sun wasn't up yet. Like, you know, there... Just the voice in it is so approachable to me. So, so like, friendly and and easy to... The voice. To understand. Okay, that's like, key. Yes, the voice is. I agree with that. You know, th- this is... Especially for this kind of story, it's all about the main character. You know, uh, we, we talk about in the Dresden Files um, how for the first several books in that series, Butcher is committing to writing in this style of episodic detective stories. And in those books, Harry Dresden doesn't really change. He, he just, it's, it's snippets of his life doing a job. And then it, he only starts developing as a character once Butcher flips the switch and and makes the change in the series to a more epic fantasy style. And in in this book, it's the same thing. You know, like this is a a trope, the hard boiled detective. You know, where you're not reading this story to find out about the the main character's coming of age or or you know midlife crisis or anything like that. You're you're here to have fun and solve a mystery. So, uh, that's, you know, that's one of the, the main comparisons. I have one other kind of style thing, and I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this especially, Rob. Okay, okay. Um, and that is the treatment of female characters in this book, uh, as compared to the way Jim Butcher treats female well, characters in I The Dresden Files. I don't know if I can speak on this too much, because as I admitted at the beginning of the episode, I didn't finish the book. How and far I suppose did you get? Finish. Uh, so where I got to, I think, was chapter 41. I got more or less about two-thirds of the way through the book. Um, uh, the most recent thing I recall would be um, Zek Zack um, bitching consistently and morally um, with his absolute sass explaining to him. Um, actually, damn it, I mean, I have the quote here from one of my favorite scenes here. Um, hmm. So you got to where they were heading out into the cantered. And I believe that's where I was. Yeah, your caterwauling is without foundation, that whole scene there. Um, (laughs) I have the quote here for my second favorite scene. We'll we'll be talking about this at the end. But yeah, Yeah. that's about as far as I got. Okay. Man, you stopped right before all the action hit. (laughs) Did I? Yeah. Yeah. It was just... Basically, from that point till the end of the book, it's like fight scene after fight scene. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I had I had put aside for myself two days to read this, and then a whole bunch of stuff came up during those two days, and I crammed as much as I could. But b- mixed with the fact that this 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 book was just not quite drawing me in after as much as I'd given it, um, with everything else that had been happening over these past couple of days, I figured this was going to be perhaps the next episode that I would approach. Just saying, you know, <laughs> I, I I I didn't quite finish this book, and I, and I would at least 
spend the time writing out my thoughts and explaining the reasons why. So I that's that that's what I have here. I have this whole file in front of me explaining mostly why I didn't finish this book. But I have a shitload of first impressions and well, I should say just say knee jerk reactions that I have to get through as well and and favorite scenes. So okay, well well so on on the topic of women. Okay. Oh, sorry. I, I got so far off that topic. Yeah. Go ahead. I I find a substantial difference between what Cook is doing in this book and what Butcher does in the Dresden Files. Okay. Uh, it is very clear that in both series, there is a tremendous amount of womanizing and sexism on the part of the main character. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, you know, I, I talked about it on the Dresden episodes. This is a product of the tropes that come with this genre. Uh, however, I think they're handled in entirely different ways. And I'm not sure I've adequately explained it in my head why I have such a bigger problem with Butcher's version than I do with Cook's. But I think what what comes across is that Butcher writes um, Harry Dresden's attitude toward women very defensively. Like he's yeah. writing oh, it with the like, uh, like, like he constantly apologizes for it in the books, constantly apologizes it and, and then continues to, uh, extend the, the the motif, uh, extend the attitude. Uh, whereas with Garrett, this is just who Garrett is. Like there, and and so it comes across as much more of like Butcher inserting himself into the Dresden Files, where Glenn Cook is just writing a character here. Uh, and on top of that. Uh, the the second big difference that I find is the way they go about describing all of these beautiful women they run into. With Glenn Cook, you know, when he's talking about Rose or Tinny or, or whoever, it's always really like tongue in cheek, where uh, and and in a self deprecating or humorous way that Garrett describes them, where he'll he'll make some remark about how. You know, they're like other than other than the fact that they're redheads, he doesn't really describe them physically. He just says, you know, like they had all the right parts in all the right places or something like that. Whereas in the Dresden Files, we get scenes where he's like describing how the girl's nipples are are hard and poking through her shirt, and you can see that they're pierced. And he's describing the teenage girl bursting out of her back. She might have similar areas pierced, even though he's known her since she was. Right. Yeah. Like there's a gratuity present in, or a gratuitousness uh, present in the Dresden Files that isn't there in in Garrett. And because of that, I find the attitudes toward women, even if on a certain level they're similar the way they're presented in the Dresden files is, is like much ickier to me. Yeah. I mean, I've decided that I've, um, I'm going to just be fine with both. There are still things individually in the Dresden files that I'm going to sit there and go, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't cool. Oh, that one kind of struck yeah. me as just a little cringy, uncomfortable, but overall I've just pretty much signed myself on board to just deal with it as part of the, uh, as part of the genre, as part of a period piece, if no less. And so, you know, it's part of the art and you just have to take it as, as part of the whole. It's, it's definitely worth talking about in these episodes. That's why we bring it yeah. up. This is at least the third or fourth time we've discussed this, but you mm -hmm. know, and I, I'm sure it's not the last time we'll, we'll be discussing something like this, particularly in a genre like the hard boiled detective, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, let's see. Uh, world building. Other style points. Yeah, okay, world building, yeah. I found it um, interesting. I found it deft. I found it subtle. There were times I found myself wanting more, um, waiting for more, simply because we got like a, we got a first tidbit of some sort. There was one point um, that comes to mind where we got this offhand comment about the Emperor's secret name. So, 
there's an emperor and he has a secret name like that that is interesting as hell and i i wrote i stopped right forget all that bullshit i want i want that book right there this is the book i want you know the, the, there's all of this just effortlessly strewn throughout um the first book that you know i can i can see myself if i liked this series definitely having a lot of uh, fertile ground to just just explore throughout the rest of the series as well. You said you've read how much of the series so far? Have you I've read, read the entire thing? You've read half of it. Yeah, I've I've read seven of the fourteen books. Okay. And I'm midway through the eighth right now. Uh yeah. and and I would say as as far as the world building goes, yeah, I world agree building. with you. I think it's really deft. Um yes. and and it has to be because Glenn Cook is not interested in telling an epic story here. He has to create a world for these very small stories to take place in. And he keeps the world living. Uh, you know, as the series goes on, Garrett gets news of the way the war is progressing. You know, uh, so you, you didn't get far enough in to hear about Glory Moon Called, did you? Sorry, go ahead. My headset cut out there. Uh, you didn't get far enough in to hear about Glory Moon Called, did you? No. Okay. So Glory Moon Called is a was a Venegetti captain who basically got sick and tired of the ineptitude of his commanders, so he defected and joined the Carantine army. And in this book, at the end of it, they get news that he pulled some insane military maneuver and killed one of the leading commanders of the Venegetti and set off like a whole new wave of battles in the Cantard. And the story of Glory Mooncalled is like, oh my god, if we really? were going to be reading a high fantasy, an epic high fantasy, that like The Wheel so of Time or, or Brandon Sanderson, they like Robert Jordan would have written this story with Glory Mooncalled as the main character. Uh, and that's all going on in the background okay, throughout okay. this series. But I'm already Garrett is like, you know, he's doing his jobs in Tunfair and occasionally it takes him outside of Tunfair. And actually all- that cracks me up how the first book he actually spends a very little time in Tunfair when when uh, most of the books are entirely within the borders of that city. Um but yeah, and so he keeps the world living and breathing in the background in order to create new stories for Garrett to move through. But Garrett isn't an active part of this bigger world conflict. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting and unique perspective. I haven't read any fantasy books or series like this. You know, I've never read one where where there is the epic struggle going on with the heroes and villains and, and mages and gods and things like that. And then the main character is just like some dude on the fringes going about his life, you know? And, but I feel like that's, that's such a Glenn Cook thing to do, you know? Yeah. It it just, it fits. It definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot deny that there, there is, there's, definitely a an atmosphere there's definitely a flavor that is undeniably glenn cook about this i mean i could i could absolutely tell this was glenn cook if you had just written this on a chalkboard in a child's hand i could have told you that these words (laughs) were glenn cook's words yeah like this series is like if he if he had written the black company from willow swan's point of view and he never (laughs) got tangled up with the company you know like he he just like ran his brewery in Taglios. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there were uh there were even there were these these few moments of just sheer shameless fun. There was some there was alliteration. Oh, yeah. There were we had great goofy groll grins. Like how do you, <laughs> how do you go wrong with that? I'm sitting there chuckling at 1:43 in the morning when I should be asleep. I'm going <laughs> because Glenn Cook just has that touch. Like, ah, 
aesthetically, he is so much fun to read. I'm just so yeah. jarred by his style in terms of his uh, narrative and his setting that it's it, it it makes me almost dizzy because I enjoy it on so much on one hand and it frustrates me so much on another. But yeah, like, there's so much I, to. I have to admit, so much part to laugh of the reason about. I got so into these books was when I started reading them. Uh, and it was last year, right after I had finished the beta read for Rhythm of War, and mm-hmm. we were like going into Mistborn, and I was just inundated with Brandon Sanderson epic fantasy. And I needed something that would be fun and light to read. And I, I was like, you know what? I, I'm, I bought this you know, omnibus version of the first three books. I bought that like three years ago. It's time for me to actually like crack this open and, and see if Glenn Cook has some more magic in these pages for me. And I, I was laughing on the first page and I was like, yep, this is what I need right now. Yep. And so for the last two years, basically, <laughs> Garrett has been my, you know, my breather. Like it, when I'm reading something really heavy, like, like last spring when we were doing Divine Cities and A Desolation Called Peace. And I'm like, you know what? I want to I want to take a little break from from the really heavy soul crushing literary stuff and and I'm going to I'm going to read about, you know, Garrett uh getting tangled up with the criminal underworld in Dunfair, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um I'm pretty much done all of my style points. Uh since we're on the subject of Garrett in particular, would you like to jump into Croker? I mean I mean Garrett <laughs> ha ha ha, ha ha, yeah. Um, yeah, I can. I can. Or is anything else uh, style or Okay, alright. So you you thought that uh, Garrett felt a lot like Croker? I mean, I love the humor, and I loved yeah. Croker's humor. Obviously, like I don't think that's going to come as a surprise to anybody that heard me talk about Glenn Cook previously on any of our uh, past episodes, this whole, like, brothers-in-arms possessing the kind of bond that can only result from years of being in the shit together, this kind of military humor, that's that's my shtick. I love it. And, of course, with Garrett, that's everywhere. Like, there's this line near the beginning that comes to mind when he's nearing the end of our first interaction with a dead man who is just so grotesque, uh, grotesque, listen to me, <laughs> grotesque, yet affable. <laughs> he tells Garrett but I fear I would miss you, insolence, disobedience, and all. Which was about the nicest thing he'd ever said to me. I had to get out of there before we started getting modeling. Yeah. That right there. <laughs> if you were to somehow capture that, the essence of that, the, that bit of humor, you were like contain it, distill it, purify it, put it under a microscope, that's my kind of line. I love it. Like, I would be tempted to say I could read a whole book of just this, but then from Garrett's point of view, I, I kind of just did read a whole book of just this, at least the, the two thirds I did get through. And I was like, ah, but it, it was still a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun in four reasons in four moments. Exactly like this. Yeah. Like, uh, how did you feel about Garrett's relationship with horses? Yeah. I mean, it, it reminded like, like I, I was, <sighs> I hesitate bringing up Stormlight because it's so that's so modern. It's like the words of radiance in Kaladin is is so yeah. like you know it's 2014 2015 but that was my first experience with a character being like unnerved and dis- and 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 uh driven uncomfortable by horses. So I you know what that's actually a bit of a spoiler. We should let's just yeah, cut I that can, a little bit out. <laughs> I can um, I can bleep stuff in post, but Yeah, we can bleep yeah, we can we can definitely do yeah, that. Yeah, like I I just I love the again, the attitude and the voice, you know, horses. They're one of the little unpleasantnesses to be endured during any lengthy journey unless you want to walk. Morley Dotes had high praise for that sort of exercise, which meant it hurt. <laughs> yeah, I'll you tell know. you what. And especially because you just bring him, like uh, you just brought him up. I I'll tell you exactly what it was that I liked about a, a specific um chemical moment between Garrett and somebody else with Morley and this consistent returning to his meat human diet. Yeah. With Morley. There were there were so many moments where I stopped and I just started smiling stupidly because Morley was going off on this point that <laughs> was so frustrating but so endearing at the same time. And you know he just means so well. And it's just ah 
<laughs> Morley's Morley's fantastic. Morley he is, is so such much a great fun. character. He's just yeah. unrestrained fun in this hell. I I love it. But yeah, yeah. like I, I I had a couple more lines about the horses that I wanted to read though. Like when Playmate is oh, yeah. is trying to like give Garrett a horse, and he's like, "This is Thunderbolt, a spirited animal, partly battle trained." No, no. Playmate shrugged, the, moved the on to letters. a row. How about <laughs> yeah. Hurricane here? Fast and smart and a little unpredictable. Like you. You should get along great. Complimentary personalities. No. Yeah. And no storm, no fury, no nothing with a fire-breathing name to live up to. I want an old mare on her last legs with a name like Daffodil and a temperament to match. <laughs> That's disgusting, Garrett. Are you a man or a mouse? <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. Like, uh, I... I, I can't get enough of this stuff. Like, I truly can't get enough of this stuff. Like, I love it. For me, as it's soon always... as we finish recording this episode, I'm going to go sit down in front of the fireplace with the, the thunderstorm going outside and open up yes. know, uh, uh, Petty Pewter Gods and continue reading that. And because, th- this is what I was talking like... about when I was saying <laughs> Glenn Cook can make me laugh every two minutes, even if I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> and it's kind yeah. of unfortunately be. Especially, like, even if I don't understand what's going on, because I'm still continuing. I love what's happening, but I'm just getting more and more and more lost. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm wandering farther and farther off the trek because these characters and their dialogue are so endearing and they're so hilarious. But smaller and smaller details are adding up that I'm somehow missing, and I'm just yeah, finding myself more confused. So you know, that is certainly a thing with Glenn Cook, uh, especially in comparison to like Robert Jordan. You get into a reading rhythm with Robert Jordan or Brandon Sanderson where you end up skimming a little bit because you get these yes. huge blocks of text, mostly description, and you're like, okay, I don't really need to know what kind of embroidery yep. is on her You can dress like approach it like dissecting a what, formula yeah. unconsciously, you know? Yeah. Um, and, so, and so it's easy to, Listen to me. take I'm that, that reading talking. mindset into other books but with Glenn Cook, because he has such a sparing style and it's such a deliberate style, like you have to pay attention to every line because mm-hmm. every line is important. Like, and yep, you know, <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah. Even even if you're only paying, like, <laughs> it's hilarious how even if you take only one out of every ten lines, just completely out of context, out of this book, it's still a funny line. Oh yeah, you know. Chapter 27. After Garrett is uh, having a particularly hearty breakfast, Morley was despondent. He began holding a wake for my health. Yeah. <laughs> Gold. Zing. I love it. That, that, that's definitely like a... That's a snort moment. I love it. You know? The, um, no, you know what? I was going to talk about Saucerhead Thor. No, no. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. Oh, uh, no. I, yeah. Let's let's move on to Saucerhead. The Saucerhead? Okay. Yeah. I mean, Let's talk about Saucerhead. Mm, the only other thing I have to talk about with Saucerhead is something that I want to talk about later during my favorite scene. So oh, I will okay. pass this uh, magnanimously off to you, my friend. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I Saucerhead is not much more than a caricature in this book. Uh, he gets a lot sure. more development as the series goes on. But in oh? this book, he's he's the okay. big dumb affable really? bruiser. Like okay. he, <laughs> all right, uh, he definitely gets, especially in the second book. Um, there's a, a very important event that happens uh, in, involving Saucerhead that shows a remarkable depth to the guy. Um, but here it's just like, you know, he's a he's a mercenary through and through. Like, he's going to stick to his word, but he's going to do the job, even if, even if it's taken out on somebody he likes. Uh, yep, but, yep. You know, but he's he's fun though. Like he's a he's a great companion to have around Garrett. Always thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you um, got Morley, who's another like a, a great companion for Garrett, but he has more depth than this. You know, he's Morley's he's got more things going on. So mm. again, you didn't get far enough in, but uh, you find out that the reason Morley took this job is because you know he's in debt to the kingpin because he keeps betting on like water spider races what? and losing. And uh, 
And the kingpin had a, like, his right-hand man steal, like, half of his money and run away to Full Harbor with his brother. And they are both vampires in the nest. And yeah. Morley went to collect the the traitor. His name's Valentine. There's Clement and Valentine. And Clement is actually right. the guy that Cain married. I vaguely remember... Yeah vampires being introduced for the first time and that's about where i checked out <laughs> i think yeah yeah uh, okay yeah vampires are very important in this book <laughs> yeah yeah uh but yeah and so so i, oh, you, I feel like you find out a lot dick. more about morley and his motivations and and just like he's a he's a really entertaining friendly guy to garrett but he is ruthless like he will he will do awful things if he needs to. Mm. And and he does it at the end of this book where he to get out of the thumb of uh the kingpin, he delivers the casket with the vampire in it to the kingpin, and the kingpin thinks the guy's dead, and he's not. So the kingpin opens the casket and this vampire just like wrecks him. And uh Yeah. So it's like Morley Morley's like more than willing to to brutally murder people if uh if it's something he needs to do to get his way yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the half dark elf yeah a lot to dig in with that character i imagine especially mm -hmm. going forward a lot to grow on oh yeah but let's talk about tinny and rose tinny and rose yeah <laughs> okay so what do you think about what do you think about Rose? Rose is a is a word that I almost said right there. It starts with a C and it has four letters in it. Yes. Yep. Um. <laughs> she. God. You know, I wrote I wrote a, a note down on my phone about her, but when I was sitting here compiling my notes, um, on my PC right before going live, I decided that's far too biting. I'm not gonna say that. I'm not going to utter those words, and so I didn't write it down here. But I will, <laughs> I will relay that as um, I don't know some sort of approximate feel as to how I interpreted that character. And I'm going to stop talking now before I get myself that? into trouble. Sorry, go ahead. She's a harridan. <laughs> okay, all right. A yeah, more, a little more uh, polite term for it. I mean. She tried to seducing him, adding herself as some sort of prize, objective prize. And then when he turned her down, she's like, okay, well, I'm just going to tell everybody that, you know, you raped me. Yeah. She's awful. That's just like my style, I guess. She's in, she's just being horrible. Ugh, God. And, and, but again, like, he makes it funny because everybody <laughs> around her knows how awful she is. And like, even her dad and her uncle, like, while she's standing yeah. right there, are talking about how awful she is. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm 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 glad that Tinny didn't turn out to be some sort of automaton that idolizes her older sister and it's like, oh my god, he is the devil. Then you know, no, she's Tinny's her own. Fun. Uh, she's her own girl. She she decides herself, yeah. and I don't know. Yeah, she's certainly headstrong like Rose. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but she's uh, a little more palatable. <laughs> Like a little friendlier. Sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Approachable. <laughs> I mean, it, it, say whatever you want about this book, but you have to admit the the characters are so colorful. Like, you can't read this book and and walk away being like, "Wow, I don't really remember those characters." It's like they they stick out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's what Glenn Cook is, is the best at. You know, you think back to the Black Company, like, it's it's this 10-book epic fantasy, but what's the first thing you think about? Croker and One-Eye and Goblin and Lady, you know, Otto and Hagop, Elmo, Mergen, Sleepy, like, y y Willow Swan. You think of the characters first. And and that's just, you know, that's a hallmark of, of Glenn Cook's writing. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any notes on the dead man uh, beyond just like how funny he is? Uh, he might have been my favorite character 
if you don't count like the obvious favor towards Garrett slash Croker slash Cook's style of you know dark humor, um, uh-huh. I think the Dead Man just with how with how <laughs> um, objectively ominous that name is, with how affable and adorable the actual figure turned out to be, despite his still grotesque nature, is just I don't know. There's so many mixed feelings that are just uh, endearing relative to one another. I love the dead man. Yeah, the dead man's pretty dope. <laughs> I like the dead like, man. Yeah, so there's was, one moment uh, again, where he had like a spider like peek out yeah, of his nose. Out, out of his like, nose, and then ah. Garrett looks at it. The spider's like, and he, he remarks, "The spider didn't like my face. Didn't like yeah. seeing my face, so he crawled yeah. back inside." <laughs> um, <laughs> See, I read this book. F- you guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So, like at the very end of the book, Garrett shows back up to like tell the dead man what happened. And he's like, oh, by the way, I'm your new landlord. Yeah. And he, like, cleans up the house. And so That's Garrett, good, though. He yeah. owns a house now, right? Yeah, so so the dead man is good. is much more present in most of the other books. Uh, I mean, he is a Logier, a dead Logier, so he goes to sleep. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those ways that uh, when it would be too easy, the plot would just be solved like that by the dead man. Uh, yep. Cook has him, like, go hibernate for a while. Um, and and then he'll like wake up at the end of the story and like Garrett will start telling him the details and, and dead man like figures it out in half a sentence. And he's like, Oh, so it's clearly this, this, this. And Garrett's like, really? You couldn't have been awake like a week ago. Like, yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's fun. The, the interactions are fun. fun. Uh, but, but I think that's, that's the end of my, uh, character points same same let's see um miscellaneous stuff um i mean so there were a lot of things i have to admit uh there were a lot of things that i forgot weren't introduced in this book uh like i was really looking forward to talking about chodo contagu uh who is who the how the fuck what uh, his name's Chodo Contagu, and okay. he is the Johnny Marconi of Garrett P.I. Ah. But Chodo. I, I, I thought he was introduced at the end of this book, but it, it's he's not. Um, he takes over after Morley has the kingpin killed by the vampire, and he <laughs> takes over the criminal, you know, underworld. Uh, yeah, I, I was looking forward to, to kind ah, of making some okay. comparisons there, but but we didn't get we didn't get him. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I've only got one. Yeah, we already talked about the Cantor and Glory Moon called. Um, oh, okay. So, silver. Silver. The, yes. the thematic importance of silver in this. Obviously, it's in the title. Uh, and and the title is a a formula that he keeps throughout the series it's all it's always like adjective metal plural noun sweet silver blues bitter gold hearts cold copper tears old tin sorrows. i would never know. have picked up on that pattern yeah never uh and, and in I'm this book guy. obviously silver is like the the operative uh element where the whole thing starts because denny was using inside information to trade I do remember that. Uh, like silver futures. And silver is a really important. It's like silver is worth more than gold in this world. I s- because yeah. silver is used as fuel for magic. So and they used silver as like in, in, in place in their language in some odd times, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like the whole war in the Cantard is over the rich silver mines out there because yeah. all the magic users want it. But then all the magic users are involved in the war, so they're using more silver because they're fighting each other, and the war gets like more and more bitter because of that. It's a really cool, you know, uh, dynamic that Cook uses to make a four generation long war make sense. Like, of course, it's never going to end because it's a self perpetuating downward spiral. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I think that's it for my miscellaneous points. Do you have any other last things before we go on to favorite scenes? 
Yeah, um, there was this one, uh, our first fight with Vasco, where I just, I wrote down this quote because I just, I, I needed to bring it up. I, I guess I'll just use this as my honorable mention here. Okay. Um, I jumped up, seized the moment by the scruff of the neck and seat of the pants, and ran him out the door to the accompaniment of appropriate remarks about seedy little army types who failed to acknowledge this natural superiority <laughs> of their overlords, the Marines. <laughs> just, uh Brilliant. Anybody who knows more than one person across any outfit of military can appreciate the cheek in that line. I wish I could possess one quarter of the weight in gold of the sheer or silver in this case of the sheer balls on Cook for this line. <laughs> what a legend! It's just ah, good stuff. Yeah, he's just the turns of phrase he uses <laughs> are so funny. Like it, he's it, so good. He's he's just. He's just playing one of the funniest writers I've ever read. Like, yeah, even yeah. in these little moments, he finds ways to to make you laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Is so, it... so your third favorite scene. Okay, so my third favorite scene, and this is also, I think, in the same chapter. This is chapter nine. Um, immediately after that, actually, when when Morley is preaching, <laughs> this is, uh, this is this is what is this? Vegetarianism, veganism, uh -huh. again. Um, I'm, I guess I'm going to use all of these scenes collectively, but specifically this here that I have quoted, uh, death wish, suicidal tendencies. Know what causes that, Garrett? Diet. That's right. Your meat-heavy human diet. You need more roughage. Roughage? Is that how it's pronounced? Uh, you don't get enough roughage. Your bowels tighten up. When your bowels <laughs> tighten up, you get these dangerous, self-destructive mood swings. And then, you know, somebody's going to get his bowels loosened up. You know, <laughs> you had to go throw somebody through my window, didn't you? This whole dynamic here in this scene, Garrett's borderline obsession, his return to that damn window, these snappy retorts back and forth, almost Tarantino-like banter about that in these inane details in the middle of this larger picture that's being ignored. Just mm, chef's kiss. It yeah. reminds me so strongly of Vincent and the Shotguns from Pulp Fiction or the Boondock Saints in their fucking rope. You know, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. It's up my alley and I like it. <laughs> yeah. I'm they like it. So that's my favorite scene. Uh, third favorite. Sorry. My third favorite scene. Yes. I'm yeah. sitting here looking at the number three and I said favorite like a dunce. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So my third favorite was when Garrett goes to the joy house. Uh, when we first meet Morley dotes, uh, just okay. like Garrett, Garrett's describing this place and you know, how it's it's like a vegetarian den there's no alcohol like they yeah. are non-alcoholic okay like, yeah yeah and any any like barges his way upstairs and and morley's got some like lord's lady <laughs> and and garrett i i can't remember the exact lie but he, he's like uh you know long long pale legs flashed into the uh in, in through the doorway into the other room, the tail attached to them looked very nice or something like that. And and Morley remarks, he's like, "Hey, keep your ass to yourself." Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. I have uh, to admit, I I do not remember this particular scene at all. Yeah. Oh, I missed and, out. Yeah, Morley's Morley's all pissed off because oh, Garrett interrupted him in the middle of things. That sounds hilarious. Yeah, I, I love that scene. Uh, Damn it. And and I will say that's a recurring motif, like. Garrett very often in the series goes to visit Morley at the Joy House and interrupts him in the middle of like you know, uh, getting some woman to commit adultery because he's got his like dark elf good looks going on, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No damn, I, I definitely made a mistake in not managing to finish this damn this book here. <laughs> okay, number two, my second favorite scene. Mm -hmm. Morley was in a peckish mood, but sir. Surely you'll see all your caterwauling is without foundation. If you will reflect seriously, you cannot help but confess the rectitude of our position. If we were to release you, as you so unreasonably insist, you would dash through the tunnel and instantly set about wreaking evil upon us, imagining us to be the authors of your ill fortune rather than assuming that onus yourself, as is the fact. I don't need to explain, to explain the, the quantity of sheer sass in this line. Is this the sassiest line I've ever read in fantasy? Or it may be, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love so my second favorite is when okay. Garrett 
Garrett runs into Saucerhead the first time. Damn it! That's my first favorite. Oh Sorry. yeah, and yeah. Go like, ahead. And Take it away, like, dude. Sorry, Garrett. <laughs> and then Garrett's like, "All right, well, before before we do this, uh, I want to hire you." Yep. 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 <laughs> this ent- oh, it's it's so good. The intro, especially because because this is our introduction to that character, and I wrote the words because this is our introduction to that character before knowing that he was also going to become vital to the. The, the books in the future this early in the narrative is just brilliant and this is also and this is a, a point of fact um notable this is immediately following the introduction of the dead man who i'm already fascinated enough by and then i get smacked across the face with this <laughs> garrett being cornered by saucerhead tharp and told what he's in for and without even trying to wheedle out of it for to the exchange for further services you know i hit him upside upside the head with a purse I put everything I had into it. Then I ran like hell for two steps. He gave Rose her money's worth, fulfilling his contract to the letter. I tried to defend myself, of course, and actually did pretty well. Not many hang in there a whole minute against Saucerhead Tharp. I even gave him one that he might remember for the next ten minutes. Always thoughtful, is Saucerhead Tharp. After he put my lights out, he ticked, uh, he tucked my purse underneath me, just in case somebody came along before I woke up. Then he went along to the next job on his agenda. And we don't need to be explained <laughs> to have explained what we already know is exactly what that next agenda is. You know, the the, the the sheer cheek in this scene, the sheer cheek in this entire book, it's just... If it was any cheekier, it would be something entirely inappropriate that I'm sure Croker or Garrett would be able to construct for me. I'll say that. Oh, God. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The, the sheer magnitude, Drew, of goofy grin on my face when I texted you last night saying... I just met the dead man, and now Saucerhead Tharp, and I love it. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I have no idea what's going on. I have on, no but idea have so what's going on, but yeah. both of these guys, I love both of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. I didn't quite finish the book, but if, if I'm going to leave it with something, I'll say I had a lot of fun along the way. And I'll still be yeah. recommending it, even though I didn't finish it. Yeah. You'll you'll find yourself compelled to go back and finish the book at oh, some I'm point. Oh, I'm sure I will. Sometime yeah. when I'm not working a bunch. And yeah. doing a bunch of school and having a bunch of other things pop up. But yeah, still. Yeah, so my favorite scene was yeah. uh, one you didn't get to. Into the Vampire Nest. Just great action, great fun. Oh uh, man. The, I didn't the, get to the scene the that wise you... cracks while they're in there. Just it's my some fault. Of, some of Garrett's internal thought process. I'm not going to quote anything because I'll, I'll let you, you know, get to that. Uh, on, on oh, your own but sometime down I the feel road, like but... I'm now. Now that I didn't finish the book, everybody else is going to be cheating on what they want to hear. What you thought about this? Because my dumbass didn't finish the book. Uh, Go ahead, it's, dude. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Um, just gonna say, it's not normal for me to pick an action scene for my favorite scene in the book. Okay. And and this was my favorite scene. But I will also add, I actually had a really hard time picking three favorite scenes. And I think this is because of the the style, the the structure and pacing. It just goes. This this book just flies by. I read it in a little under two hours. Like that just I, blows my mind. I can't imagine just, that. I just like jumped on the wave, and the wave kept going. And it was hard for me to stop and like think about in the moment. Oh, this is going to be one of my favorite scenes. The way I normally do with books. And so I didn't start thinking about it until well after I'd finished my reread. And I was like, huh, like nothing really leaps out at me except for that fight scene. And then I had to kind of go back through, you know, flip through the book and be like, all right, yeah, like where, where are the parts that I laughed the most, which, which character things that I liked the most and, uh, and ended up settling on these three, but, but Yeah. That's in, that's that's incredible to me. It took me at least because I was stopping every I don't know 10 15 minutes to write two or three minutes worth of notes on yeah. my phone. I think it took me at least four to five hours to reach the two thirds mark. So the fact that you're telling sure. me that you reached you you like you know it, that's just it's incredible to me. I I so envy the fact that you can just like speed through something <laughs> like that and still retain so much of it, especially as to 
you know, uh, be able to uh, recap it at the top of the show and defend it for as long as you have. It's it just, does help this was a reread. I'm the s- first time I read this book, I did have points where I had to stop and I was like, wait, what is going on? And then I, on a reread, I'm like, okay, yes, I I understand. I see the foreshadowing yeah. now. I see the hints that were dropped. I'm so glad that I have the th- I have you to say the things that I don't know how yeah. to say. And, and there are... <laughs> um, there are things in this book that uh, he describes um, like in different terms than we're used to. Like most of the most of the times they talk about vampires, they call them the night people. And it's not until yeah. you know several chapters after that that you realize, oh, these are vampires. And then I kept equating them to outsiders, and I was like, oh, is this something meta? Oh, no, night yeah. people. Yeah, and like, and and there are unicorns in this book, but the unicorns in this book are nothing like the unicorns that we think of in in today's world. You know, like, you know, a beautiful silver mane and a, and a sparkling horn. These unicorns are like vicious tribal things that are really smart and train dogs to hunt for them. Like, really? That's yeah. awesome. That's so heavy metal. I actually yeah. really like that. Um, you know, and so there there are things like that that the first read through you're like, "What?" And then on a second read through when you have the context you're like, "Okay, you know, this makes sense and I can just cruise through the scene rather than stopping and being like, "What the hell am I reading?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh so yeah. But but I think that that wraps up our discussion here. Time for the final draft. Yeah, I'll kick us off in the final draft. So for the first time in, in quite a while, I'm going to reach down here and grab the bottle. Um, I decided recently that I was going to finish a rather large writing piece of mine, and I stopped at the liquor store to get a nice little bottle of whiskey. This here is a rather, you know, standard splash, I imagine, um, for anybody who really delves into these parts. But it's definitely done what I hoped it would do for me in the past few days, or I should say a couple of weeks. And writing that piece of mine is going rather well because I have this to grease the wheels. Um, <laughs> I just crossed 5,000 words on it. It's going to be the biggest piece I've done for patrons yet. It's about halfway nice. done. It's going to be like 9,000 to 12,000 words, I'm thinking. And yeah, since that's in full-on novelette territory. Oh there. yeah, it's in this. This some of this left here. Um, this twenty-sixer bottle, this seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottle, has lasted me uh, a little over two weeks now. I still have a little more than half of it left. But now that I'm, you know, recording for the first time, having a sip of it in its bold format, this here is an eight-year-aged Gibson's finest bold. I grabbed the bold instead of what was the um, the fine today. But it's been going rather well. I had a few shots before I started. I had a few shots while we were going. I got a little obnoxious. <laughs> I had a lot of fun, even though I didn't finish the book. And I think that speaks volumes. So Yeah. Yeah. I had All a right. Gibson's Finest. The Bold. What yeah. have you been sipping on, my friend? Uh, I've been drinking a very nice light ale, a Kolsch, from Grimm Brothers Brewing in Loveland, Colorado. It's 5% ABV. It's a traditional German ale. I've Um, had one of those. Yeah. Very light, very drinkable, bright, um, you know, bready flavor, a little bit of sweetness to it. Um, I could, I could drink like a half dozen of these. No problem. They, they go down like water. Uh, but I, I saw this in the liquor store and I, I had to get it because it was just too perfect for a particularly rambunctious red-headed character. This beer is called Briar Rose. Briar Rose. Okay. All right, let's because dissect she this. Is one let's thorny dissect rose. this. Yes, she is. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Very nice. So, I uh I believe that gets us to the end of things. Yeah. This has been episode... Uh, what is this going to be? I don't even um, know. I, I looked at the uh, the spreadsheet, but it was nebulous enough that I decided not to assign yeah. a number to it during my intro. I 
think this is going to end up being episode 139, but it might be 140. We'll mm-hmm. see. Um, this has been a lot of fun. I didn't yeah. finish the book, but it's been a lot of fun. If I was like to create an ultimate universe of, of Avengers, and I needed a character <laughs> to, to idolize the, the gritty, dark, sarcastic, military humor... It would be Glenn Cook. Nobody else could yeah. write that better than Glenn Cook. Yeah. I will be recommending Glenn Cook to to so many of my personal friends in the future. Even though uh, myself, it's 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 not quite my style still. So yeah. So yeah. Next up um, is either going to be Small Favor or um, one of the Star Wars X Wing books. Again, we're not totally sure what the schedule is going to roll out. But it'll be one of those. As always, if you want to support the show, as Rob said, check us out on Patreon or Coffee to get all those awesome benefits. And uh, you know, we we greatly appreciate all of our current patrons and their generous support because they are the ones really keeping the show afloat right now. Um, yes, yes. You know, we're we're so not much. out here Thank to, you to make a whole bunch of money or anything. We are we're using that Patreon money to pay pay for the hosting, pay for our fantastic episode artwork by fell candy you can check her out on instagram especially for um, the dresden files she's been so oh, yeah. killing it for the dresden files mm. unbelievable so uh as always i have been your host drew mccaffrey and with me is my co-host rob santos right here thanks for listening we'll catch you next time bye